Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors. Help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of our loving, life-giving, liberating God, amen. Please be seated. Several weeks ago, I had a particularly proud moment of parenthood. I don't preach about our son Silas too much because I was once a clergy kid and sermon fodder. But this was a moment when I knew I was raising a good Episcopalian. It was, as I said a few weeks ago, it was mid-October before Halloween, and Silas and I walked in to a hardware store. And there were plastic trees and twinkling lights and even an animatronic Santa that you could put in your front lawn. And my five-year-old looked out at all the plastic and looked up at me and said, but Dada, it's not Christmas yet. <laughs> yeah. Being a parent is humbling and I often whether, I doubt my ability, I wonder whether I'm getting anything right at all, but for just a few moments, the other week at the hardware store, I knew I had managed to instill some virtue in our son. <laughs> it is not Christmas yet. Though all of the commercial outfitters want us to believe otherwise, not yet. It's not even Advent. Today we hear from Jesus for the penultimate time in Matthew's Gospel. Stay awake. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And those of you who are close observers will note that it's a bit odd that Jesus finishes the section of the gospel this way, that he tells his listeners, stay awake. And the story he just told begins by talking about wise and foolish bridesmaids. And on the surface, the story, like many of the parables in Matthew, seems like it should be a pretty easy thing to interpret. It's a simple story about insiders and outsiders, the wise and the foolish, those who count and those who are counted out. And this story, like many stories in religion, has been used to say some of us are saved and some of us are left out in the cold. It's also frustratingly sometimes preached as women be shopping. It, it's, it's a difficult parable, though. Like much of Matthew, you really have to dig in to this parable. And there's an oddness. There's an oddness that Jesus finishes saying, keep awake, because all of the bridesmaids fall asleep, don't they? Not just the foolish, all of them. The bridegroom's arrival catches them all sleeping. So it's odd that Jesus finishes saying, keep awake. It makes you wonder if the editor of Matthew's Gospel made a quick decision about how to bring this story into the rest of the ones about the kingdom, right? But if you dig a little bit more, there's something going on here. And the 25th chapter of Matthew can be read as a crescendo. This is the final chapter of Jesus' teaching. Chapter 26, <clears throat> it'll see Jesus be arrested. And this odd little story about bridesmaids, it, it echoes in the story that is coming in the next chapter. In chapter 26, Jesus will plead with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane 
stay awake with me. At the end of the chapter 26, under the cover of darkness, in the high priest's courtyard, it will be Peter who swears of Jesus, I do not know that man. I do not know him. And this story about the sleepy bridesmaid seems to be about preparation then. Jesus prepares his followers, telling a story about the reign of God and about awareness. And for this Sunday and the next two, we're going to be reading from this 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which is the last Sunday this year of our annual cycle of readings, we'll read the great final teaching of Jesus to his disciples, the end of the crescendo of Matthew 25. Jesus says that his followers will feed him when he's hungry, clothe him when he's naked, visit him in prison. When do we do this? The followers ask. And Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, my siblings. At the end of the chapter, Jesus will encourage his followers to develop an outward awareness. The work of Christians remains to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those who are detained. But here at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus invites his followers to a different kind of awareness, a spiritual awareness an inner awareness. In order to follow Jesus into the work of justice, you first need to be spiritually awake. And the political scientist and philosopher Kristen Renwick Moore conducted interviews with Germans who lived during the Nazi regime. And she started by speaking with the group that we most might want to interview. And she started by speaking to the folks she calls the rescuers those who protected their Jew Jewish neighbors from the Holocaust, who hid folks in cupboards and in attics. You can understand why she would want to start there. But Renwick Moore soon realized that just interviewing the heroes wasn't giving her a complete picture. So her research then led her to interview a second group she called the bystanders, those who didn't intervene. Still, the picture was incomplete, so she interviewed the third group, the supporters of the Nazis. And she found that there was some specific patterns that set these three groups apart. The rescuers had a self-image that was inclusive and broadly based, and they also had a strong sense of agency. Bystanders, they saw themselves as people who were weak on agency, with little control over their lives and little they thought they could do for others. Bystanders tended to think with a group identity more so than the rescuers did, seeing themselves as members of exclusive groups, while rescuers saw themselves as members of a common humanity. Finally, and ironically, Renwick Moore found that the Nazis had a victim mentality, seeing themselves as members of a group that had been treated badly and threatened by Jews, social democrats, LGBTQ plus people, etc. Nazis were the strongest communitarians, feeling close to members of their own self-defined group, but having little, if any, regard for those who fell outside. So the difference between those who stood with the Nazis 
and those who stood with their Jewish neighbors was twofold. The rescuers were those who refused to believe that religion, that ethnicity invalidated common humanity. And rescuers were those who had a sense of agency, a sense that they could do something. They had to do something. Rescuers stayed awake. Rescuers stayed aware that they had power to act. Renwick Moore then studied this inner work of awareness sociologically, the inner work that precedes the outer work of defiant justice. And she's found that our sense of connection matters and our readiness to act matters. Dr. Howard Thurman was a mentor to Dr. King. He was known by some as the mystic of the civil rights movement. He told activists, young and old, to find the, sen the sound of the genuine, find the sound of the genuine in themselves. Uh, Howard Thurman was often found in gatherings after big actions throughout the South, often found sitting with groups of activists, young and old. And the struggle for civil rights was long, frustrating, and at times dehumanizing. You couldn't blame activists for getting tired, for wanting to pack up. And Thurman would say, cultivate that inner awareness. Find the sound of the genuine. And Pastor Otis Moss in Chicago interprets Thurman's phrase this way. He says, discover what makes you come alive. What makes you come alive is as sure a sign as any of God's presence that the spirit is with you, find the sound of the genuine, and listen deep. Spirituality is not about accumulating hours of prayer for the sake of appearing holy. And spirituality isn't about what you do with your Sunday morning, though I'd encourage you to consider spending more Sundays here than not. <laughs> the act of surrender of coming to church, it matters. Not because of outward appearances, not just because your mom told you so. It's not about looking like we've got it together. Church doesn't matter because it's where we're supposed to be. Sunday matters because we come to church to break open the central symbols of our faith. We come to be fed by story, by liturgy, and by community. And with due respect to those who watch or listen online, being here in person matters. If it has been a while, let me invite you to come. If you've been watching online and aren't yet sure, every week we receive notes from folks online who've been watching and have never been in person. Let me encourage you, we really try not to bite here. You are welcome. And if you're worried about mobility or a ride, reach out to clergy. If we can't get you here, we can get sacrament to you. But the in-personness of what we do matters. Getting to church is about refilling our figurative oil jars. Because spirituality is about deepening. Spirituality is about deepening your listening to the world, to your neighbor, deepening your examination of structures of power. 
Spirituality is about deepening your listening for the voice of God, for the voice of the Spirit, for the sound of the genuine in your life. That's where you find oil for your lamp. And the deepening of listening to the world, to the Spirit, to your neighbor, it can produce another deepening. It can lead us further along Matthew chapter 25. That deepening of listening deepens our commitments as well. Keep those lamps trimmed. Keep the oil filled to the brim because the world needs you. The world needs you to be alive, awake, prepared. Your neighbor may need you to be grounded, ready to love, and ready to put love into action by working for justice. A few years ago, the Islamic scholar Omid Safi wrote about the power of hope. And he reminded his readers that Dr. King, in the midst of the civil rights movement, once called time morally neutral. Morally neutral. Safi elaborated, time is morally neutral. Things do not get better by themselves. They also do not get worse by themselves. That's true whether we're talking about a society bending the arc of the moral universe toward the good and the just, or sliding into an abyss of authoritarianism. Time marches on, says Safi, and we have to choose whether we're along for the ride or working to change direction. How awake are you? How aware are you? Time does not heal all wounds, not on its own. Time does not always mean progress any more than age, just as age does not always equal wisdom. Awakeness matters if we seek to make change in our time. What this parable, I think, tells us, and that's a tricky thing to do with Matthew's parables, they elude us, I think, on purpose. But what I think this parable tells us is that Jesus was looking for followers who were willing to love God through loving their neighbors. Jesus was looking for prepared seekers who are willing to stand sentinel for the coming of the reign of love. So don't settle for plastic trees and light up reindeer in October. God hopes for so much more than tinsel. Some people may think we live in a Christian nation. I'd say that our best hope is that the jury is still out. Listen for the inner voice when it says, no, not yet. We aren't there yet. This isn't the reign of God, not yet. Keep awake. When all seems hopeless, keep listening. Keep aware of your neighbor's needs aware that we are connected more than to our tiny groups. When all seems hopeless, keep listening. Stay ready to act in the name of God's genuine love. Amen.